welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be. Hi, this is Jed Hall. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm an academic development consultant at the University of Leeds. My specialism is research impact, and that has been the focus of all the episodes I have contributed to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. You could find all of those episodes via a playlist that I put in the show notes. Today, in a very special bonus episode, I'm joined by Dr. Vicky Jennison and Dr. Fran Pontin. Vicky is a research fellow and works in the School of Food Science and Nutrition, and her, re- her research interests are focused on nutrition and lifestyle analytics. Fran is a research data scientist in the Consumer Data Research Centre, and she's also a part-time lecturer in the Centre for Spatial Analysis and Policy in the School of Geography. I'm delighted, absolutely delighted to be talking to them today because they were part of the Consumer Research Data Centre's nutrition and lifestyle analytics team that won the Economic and Social Research Council's Impact Prize. Woo, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely excited by this. I bet you were last week when you got the announcement. And they won in the Outstanding Impact and Business Enterprise category for their project, Enhancing research, Retailer Knowledge and Building Capacity During Using Consumer Data. Now, both Vicky and Fran would fit into most people's rather elusive definitions of what we might call early career researchers. You know, we all use those those silly terms and then some research councils say it has to be within seven years of PhD and all that sort of thing. But most you, you definitely fit in most of those different definitions. So I wanted to explore with them how academic, how impact fits into their academic identity and how they've built the networks and competencies to achieve that impact and be part of that brilliant team, um, and what institutional support has been important to them in in doing that. But before we get to that, I just wanted to say, well done. Uh, Congratulations. It's a fantastic, fantastic prize. Uh, How did you feel about it? Yeah, thanks very much, Jed. It's uh, it's still sort of sinking in really it's uh, all very fresh but yeah great to be recognized and great to have the chance to just reflect and pause because we do we do work at pace with industry and we're um, I think we're all very keen to uh, make as much impact as possible move on to the next project and we don't always just stop and reflect on what we've achieved so far so it's allowed us to do that which is really nice. And Fran was it a lovely swanky event that you enjoyed? It was a lovely event to go to. And it's like Vicky said, we're often working at such pace. It's lovely to actually take that time and be able to not be in a business meeting with the people we're sort of collaborating with, but actually take that time to celebrate and enjoy each other's company and sort of celebrate the wins over the past however many years it's been to get up to this point. Yeah, because I noticed the industry partners were also with you at the event. That was that was great, wasn't it? Yeah, really good. And it just kind of speaks to the strength of the collaborations I think that we do sort of see each other as like an extension of of one team really it's not about kind of take the data and then we hide away and do what we like with it is it is a true collaboration so that came across really strongly at the event as well. Brilliant and then before we get into um, kind of talking about how 
you two have learned how to have impact and the you know the the things that have been part of your development in terms of terms of leading up to that success i wonder if you could describe um describe for our listeners just exactly what was going on in that project and what it was all about so i think fran you were gonna you were gonna do this for for our yeah. listeners perfect thanks jed i'll set, start off with the context and dive into what we did so um, at the moment only one percent of the uk population meets our uk dietary guidance and that's known as the eat well guide so you've probably seen it before it's a colorful pie chart with or looks like almost like a plate and it tells us what proportion of different food groups we should be eating so despite so few people meeting the guidance, um, we know that following the guidance has both been associated with eight years extension to life expectancy and also significantly reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. So there's no real reason why we shouldn't be doing it, um, but as a population, we're not. Um, we also know that 98% of people do at least part of their shopping in the supermarkets, if not all their shop. So supermarkets play an important part in our food system and has a real that kind of real potential to impact our health and our sort of um, impact on the planet as well. So supermarkets already do a lot to influence what we buy. Um, so whether that be price promotions, on-shelf advertising, shelf heights, um, colourful banners when you walk into the store. Um, and all these nudging techniques can also then be applied to, or the logic is, could be applied and make us shift our behaviour to be more healthy and more sustainable. And then we're get, getting that step closer to meeting that Eat Well guidance. So um, the SRC Celebrating Impact Prize was awarded in the Outstanding Business and Enterprise category for work led by Michelle Morris with supermarkets to analyse transaction data to see whether trialled interventions to encourage this healthy and sustainable behaviour worked. Um, and we first wanted to see whether it worked as intended. So we did we see those positive shifts in behaviour and people more aligning more closely to that eat well guide we also wanted to investigate these unintended consequences so it's brilliant in a hypothetical example if we manage to get more people to buy strawberries eat more of their five a day but not if we're actually just seeing them buying that alongside meringue and making eat a mess so it's kind of the context and the wider context of the basket is also really important um so one thing that came across during the ceremony um from the esrc was acknowledgement of how difficult it can be to have impact with businesses because there can it doesn't seem to be so much synergy when when you're kind of comparing the social impact agenda of social sciences versus the business and corporate agenda um so it, it was really nice to hear our application praised for how our collaborative approach um and the results from the work have actually fed back into the businesses and have led to supermarkets making real commitments towards um, health in their strategies and, and sustainability. So uh, kind of making commitments around where they're going to place products in their stores and the kind of price points that they can offer products at. So, yeah, really, really good to see those examples coming through. Brilliant. Thank you both for that. And it gives uh, gives our listeners some some context and, and kind of further context you know cdrc 
as a as a research center is very impact focused i mean that was really obvious in the successes last year in 2022 in our internal impact awards you almost um you almost cleaned <laughs> clean the slate in terms of winning everything i think in uh, in those awards and and it was interesting we've got a you know there's a there's an interview with emily ennis who's the impact manager from cdrc and uh, and mark birkin who at the time was was director talking about leadership uh, within the within the center and it was interesting you mentioned Miss Michelle leading now when I, when she got in touch with me and said you've been shortlisted and I said oh that'd be great for a, for a podcast she was really insistent to kind of get out of the way and it not be about her so and 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 for the two of you uh for the two of you to be on on this podcast today kind of celebrating the success and i think that speaks volumes for kind of what leadership means in cdrc and and how everyone are kind of it's a really distributed leadership model um and i can see you both nodding and, and agreeing with that which is what really came through the through the episode last uh last year so have a listen to that listeners if you if you're interested in that aspect but as i said i wanted to get on to kind of um how to develop as uh, impact into into an ecr uh, early career early career researchers career and and back in 2019 there was a book came out called research impact and then the early career researcher and i was lucky enough to co-author the first chapter in that book and and it was really about trying to give some advice to people at the start of their career in terms of how to try and build impact in you know what what are the challenges what are the ways to do that what are the different lenses to look through that that we need to develop so um i just wanted to kind of come to you both um and get get your two views on just how important impact is in your current research identity. Fran, I'll come to you first. Thanks, Jed. Well, I'd say to me, it's kind of at the core of what I do. I think that's actually why I p- picked an academic career path. Um, I saw the kind of potential to develop both those kind of problem-solving skills and sort of like constant learning, but also to be able to do it on the alongside the ability to produce something that actually helps people. Um, so when deciding to do a PhD, even it was kind of that concept of research impact, though that term would probably actually meant quite little to me at the time um, that sort of drove me to um, pick my PhD project. And sort of the, even the fact that of doing a PhD in the first place. Um, so my PhD was also actually in collaboration with CDRC. So maybe sort of seeing some alignment of those values around impact there from the get go. Um, and I was supervised by Michelle Morris and Nick Lomax, who's one of the CDRC co-directors, alongside Graham Clark in School of Geography. And I was looking at the utility of commercial fitness app data in capturing physical activity behaviour and barriers to people being sufficiently active. So this is a little bit of a pivot from my undergraduate degree, which is in food science and nutrition, which is sort of nicely come back into play with the um, sort of aligning with um, the SRC Impact Prize work. Um, but I think it's like pivot actually kind of captured my desire to do sort of impactful research and research for the public good in the sort of CDRC tagline um, from the start. Uh, and that's also one of the reasons I then wanted to work with CDRC when I sort of got that postdoctoral stage, so post-PhD. Um, so um, perhaps maybe I'm one of those lucky few that kind of started 
my my research impact journey is actually driven by is the reason I'm in academia and so we talk you in the book in the chapter you talk about that impact journey so um I think that's sort of where it came in um that being said doing research that's capable of impact and achieving impact are two quite different things and I'm sure we'll unpick that further in our conversations yeah Vicky what about you in terms of how it fits into your identity yeah so those identities that you pull out in the chapter actually uh, I kind of laughed because I felt really seen when I read those I, I actually identify with a couple of those so particularly the existentialist which I, I don't know if that's perhaps where Fran was coming from as well but I I do feel like very driven to pursue impact in in my work to kind of receive that validation that I'm I'm doing something worthy and and good um and I actually think that that doing yeah doing that through impact external to the university actually really speaks to that and I think there there can be a lot of scrutiny in academia and that's it's all right that there should be because that drives quality science and robust debate but as an ECR it can feel quite daunting and I have found that by pursuing impact and kind of speaking to others outside of um, the academic sphere there's a real recognition that there's so much that needs to be done with work in the food system so let's let's just make a start let's let's do something and not let great be the enemy of the good and I kind of feel the value of my work and my contribution Mm. a little bit more acutely than I do sometimes when I'm speaking only to academics because of that level of scrutiny Um, yeah so so talking to people outside the academy helps to take some of that pressure away is that is that that one hearing from you Vicky yeah I think so and I think that that speaks to the other identity that kind of resonated with me which was the imposter identity and I think that's really common especially for early career researchers so I think in part for me that's born out of the fact that I'm an interdisciplinary researcher as well so I'm a public health nutritionist I'm also trained in data science and a a little bit of a geographer and I feel less comfortable with those last two identities so I tend not to introduce myself as those um but I think where in an academic setting I am quite careful with how I would introduce myself for for fear that I'll be uh questioned about a really complex algorithm that I've never heard of if I tell everyone that I'm a data scientist actually in a in a kind of impact and um you know when you're talking to to businesses the the fact that I wear several hats can be really beneficial actually because it enables me to connect people from across the organization um and kind of speak multiple languages and bring people together that perhaps don't really speak to each other in an organization very much so it it can feel like a, a blessing and a curse at the same time if that makes sense absolutely you know that takes me right back um I mean after PhD I worked for 10 years in industry and then came back into academia 
uh, and on my first day, uh, we were in a, a you know range of meetings. It was just before Christmas, so it was. It, it felt like we were just wandering around campus, going to different Christmas parties in uh, in different departments and uh, and different schools, uh, which which actually is what we were doing. Um, and one of the bizarrest questions I've ever been asked was, "What are you?" And I was like, I was a bit shocked at that at that point. I was like, uh, "Are they?" are they asking about my religious beliefs or are they uh you know what what are they what are they getting at uh, so so i actually asked i was a bit confused and they said essentially what it boiled down to was what was your first degree in and it was like well chemistry but i haven't done chemistry since um and it it, it was kind of like a weird um labeling um a weird identity labeling so i can understand you kind of feeling a bit more reticent about claiming a different identity when you're talking in it to an academic audience compared to talking to a business audience that's that's really interesting i definitely felt exactly the same thing um that people took you almost took you at face value in a business environment rather than rather than what what label do you come with anyway so next next kind of question i thought we'd i thought we'd move on so yeah it, the chapter we we you know not not none of it was new empirical work that that we'd done we were building on on the empirical work of others including McAlpine et al and and they'd suggested that there were kind of three trajectories where that uh, that academic identity is is kind of built on uh, and those were intellectual i guess that's not surprising um and uh uh institutional is the institution got the right culture framework resources to to enable that intellectual growth and and networks you know that so none of those were particularly surprising so i wanted to kind of ask in terms of on the intellectual strand you know the the chapter talks about growing the competencies uh around uh around impact so um vicky i'll come to you first and kind of go were there any any particular skills in relation to impact that were more or more challenging or less challenging for you to for you to develop um, to to kind of properly engage with those businesses? I think the thing that is the key for me is the communication skills and uh, presentation skills, um, and it's something I've consciously worked very hard at. I remember the first presentation that I gave during my undergraduate degree, I completely froze, forgot what I was speaking about and felt like I was going to pass out because I was just so under pressure. And I think after that point, I was like, yeah, I really need to work at this. Um, so I've, I've had presentation training and um, worked quite hard to try and recognise the message that I'm trying to get across um, when you when you're speaking to businesses, especially you, you don't always get a lot of time and you've got to communicate a message often with complicated data scientist data science methods to non data scientists. Um, and you've got to be quite succinct and bring yeah. everyone along on the journey in a way that's transparent and doesn't feel like smoke and mirrors. Um, and also get across the so what for the business. Why would they even want to be involved with this? So it it sort of felt fairly 
cyclical in that engaging with impact has enabled me to realize what those so what's are so that I can communicate them better and then communicating them well enables you to realize the impact so it's it feeds in to one another and something that I'm constantly working at and trying to refine I'm glad you mentioned that kind of cyclical nature because I you know I often say to people in uh, impact training events that just go and talk to stakeholders and just keep iterating around you know that that's where you will find what is the thing that you have in common that you you want to work on together and and that you know that's what really enables co-production and and things like that it's hearing those voices and and just being open to them so fran i'll come to you what what things did you um did you need to develop to kind of um engage with with impact in in your almost like me and Vicky are um, on the same journey. I would say exactly the same thing. Communication's been such a key part of that. And I sort of want to always pick up on a point Vicky made, actually the last question around sort of interdisciplinary. And I think that's where it, a lot of it comes out as well. So I think Vicky and I have both been described as unicorns. Um, so the fact that we both have some data, that kind of data science skill set and some sort of um, nutrition and policy background and knowledge. Um, and I think that puts us in a really fortunate position to actually be used to switching and developing our communication skills and using that lexicon, as Vicky said, when we're working with business, almost switching how we talk, what we talk about, what level we talk at really quickly and succinctly. Um, and that's, again, part of that cyclical sort of development. So one, I guess, piece of advice I'd give somebody who wanted to sort of develop those skills was asked to be invited along to meetings with whatever stakeholder group you want to be involved with. I remember when we first started our meetings with the retailers, I would often, there's a thousand different abbreviations, um, references to people I had no idea who they were, but often you just need to actually be sit there and sort of absorb it a bit like a sponge. And then you can start to become more actively involved, but also often turning up and sort of being willing to absorb that information is really useful. And I think I've also developed those communication skills sitting in leader. So these are super data analytics. We're physically a very cross-discipline space. So you actually learn from other researchers. We often talk about data science methods, but for completely different end use cases. So you start to kind of continually develop those ways of talking, ways of communicating cross-discipline that make it, then make it a lot easier. And I also really struggle with that as well. And the confidence to kind of get up and speak or have a conversation when you don't know what direction it's going to go in. Um, so I sort of really struggled with that when I sort of was finishing my PhD towards the end and kind of starting to get into this. I found that teaching really helped me actually. So moving away from the research side of academia into teaching, but you're then prepared to go up in front of a class. You're answering questions. You're speaking to different levels, understanding, gauging knowledge, and that those skills are really transferable across. So that kind of with my other tips of early career researchers to develop those skills. If you don't necessarily have those opportunities to kind of go and be a sponge, go and apply those skills in different setting and transfer them um as you develop yeah I'm, I'm really glad you picked out that kind kind of understanding the contextual information around uh around the partners that you're hoping to work with because uh, you know that that in essence is how you show respect to them in in terms of that you're 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 understanding where they are rather than them having to understand where you come from <laughs> um yeah so so thanks for pointing that out the the next 
kind of lens for that academic trajectory development that uh, the McAlpine uh, and colleagues pointed out was was institutional, and that was kind of around about the you know the right resources. So I, gu- I guess here we're probably talking you know. Fran, you mentioned leader and CDRC being great places to do that. So um, thinking about both the the institute and the center, but also the two schools that you're that you're both based in as well, is there is there anything about those that are really contributing to uh, to the way you you are growing in, in in understanding how to have impact? Fran, I'll come I'll come to you first as you you uh, kind of moved in that direction with the last question. Brilliant. Yeah, so we've already kind of touched upon how CDRC sort of tagline is for public good. So naturally, then a lot of our research or sort of our aims are moving towards that goal of public good, which by nature sort of generates or hopefully generates that's the aim, positive impact. Um, so um, and that can sort of change from sector to sector. So sort of zooming out a bit from our sort of ESRC impact prize, which is very not, I wouldn't don't want to say imminent impact because there's been so much trust building and things we've touched upon already to get to that stage. But we're sort of seeing retailers are able to respond relatively quickly and sort of implement um, changes. So one of our trials looked at and the placement of plant-based products alongside uh, meat products in the supermarket aisle to try and get people to swap to the plant-based option. Um, and actually had the unintended consequence of shifting people away from the plant-based options because it wasn't where it normally was in the supermarket. So the regular consumers couldn't find it. And actually when it was on the shelf, we've seen that real price difference. So unintended consequence there. But the retailer response was able to fairly rapidly expand, commit to expanding the range of vegetarian and vegan products and also look at reducing that price point um, much quicker than the... Um, potentially more uh, traditional routes to impact. We say, I want to get my research into policy, which policy documents and getting things to government could take a long time. So we've seen that real quick impact. Um, but we also in the CDRC work towards more kind of methodological impact as well. So it could be real sort of how a lot more long, longer lead time, but some of the work we're doing around smart data, for example, we could start to see how that's going to really impact the lives in 2030. Hopefully we'd be using this data 2040 even to have um, impact. So it's sort of look, working at those different scales, I think is really interesting and sort of learning from different use cases and scenarios across the team. And I think it really comes down to that CDRC team. It wouldn't be possible without all of them. So I think I did a quick head count. I reckon at least 25 individual people are directly involved with our partnerships in both the retailer side and the sort of Leeds University side of um, making this research happen to even then be able to achieve the impact. Um, so on the CDRC side, we have, you've already spoken to our amazing impact manager, manager, Emily, and she talked very much about the structures in the CDRC that enable that mm-hmm. from our partnership and operations manager, sort of enable that trust building, maintain those relationships. To Emily, sort of make sure we have impact sort of embedded from the start. And to, uh, Robin at the end, just kind of shouts about it and lets us sort of spread the word as it was. So I think all those structures are really important and I know not everyone's fortunate enough to work in a place that has that core of a team around it. But across the university, they're, I mean, research impacts where you are, Jed. Um, 
there are those resources and you can seek them out and people are really willing to amplify what you're doing and help and support you. It's just often the case of asking, working out where that resource and impact is. Yeah. Vicky, I'll, I'll come to you. Is there anything you wanted to add to that and anything that might be specifically happening in, your, in the School of Food and, and Nutrition? I suppose just just to start with CDRC and echo what Fran said around the the team structure, and I think it, it feels like a, new, a quite a unique place to me in that the professional services staff are so closely um, intertwined with the academic staff, and there's just so much opportunity to collaborate with them and go along the whole journey of research. Um, together so Emily for me has been really helpful in identifying examples of impact that I think we can get quite um quite bogged down in you know all the change that we want to see happen in the food system and ultimately we want people to eat better become healthier and that saves the NHS loads of money but that's quite a big goal to achieve so Emily's been able to kind of keep me grounded and say, yeah, but there's a real attitudinal shift that's that's been going on within the retailers as well. Or you've helped to feed into the internal policy of that organisation. And those types of impact I probably wouldn't have seen if I hadn't have had somebody like Emily to work closely with. And then that helps my my case for winning more funding and that kind of thing. So it really helps to drive the academic agenda as well and I I also wanted to shout out Robin I know Fran's already done so but from the communications side of things and um, being able to speak to Robin at every stage of the project and not just at the end when we've got something that we want to share but actually to think about a communication strategy and who do we want to speak to? What do we want to target directly to them? And what's the best way to do it? Is it a targeted email? Do we invite them to an event? Or are they on a mailing list and they receive like a generic circular? So it's it's that kind of thing that um, I think because we're thinking about things up front, it, it just makes it an easier journey, I think, for impact. Um, for With this School of Food Science and Nutrition, I'm relatively newer to that school but I think the experience that I've had with CDRC means that I'm now not afraid to ask for those pieces of support when I need them and to yeah to really seek them out and know that they are there because sometimes if if you're not aware they're not going to come and knock on your door you have to you have to find them so yeah having the confidence to to just ask for help or ask for contact or that kind of thing um just yeah really helpful it's lovely to hear you both um really quite uh uh, quite eloquently describe how research always happens by teams doesn't it? it it's rarely in any discipline reliant on just one person um, so it's fantastic to hear that and fantastic to hear them, you know, people, you know, I remember Emily having her first job as an impact person and her coming along to some sessions that that I did, uh, I did back in the day. So it's lovely to see her growth uh, and 
over that time and then helping you with your growth. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like a bit of a granddad though saying that. <laughs> um, so the, the final, um, uh, element of, of the, of the, of the lenses that McAlpine talked about was, um, was networking. So again, you probably said a little bit about that in terms of, um, in terms of, you know, Robin helping in terms of the comms and, and marketing campaign. But uh, yeah, so so Fran, anything you wanted to say about how you built those those networks that are, that are important in impact beyond beyond the university? Well, I really want to credit Michelle for building a lot of those early, uh, very early relationships with the retailers, without which we would by no means be anywhere near what we are today. Um, and I'm going to reuse that phrase of building trust. I think Michelle enabled us to build trust. And also by partnering with the CDRC allowed sort of trust from other domains to sort of be used to help build that relationship. So having that trend, we've got a trusted data environment, for example, in Leader. So knowing that their data is held securely, um, we've been internally, uh, we've been audited by the retailers to kind of check that the data is held securely. So having that sort of those baselines of trust in building those networks is really important, but it initially came down to those initial conversations, relationships Michelle built, and then we've managed to build out that network through that trust. Um, so I think also bringing on board the Institute for Grocery Redistribution, was that three years ago now? It feels like, not feel like being longer in a, in a uh, negative way, but it feels like we've been working with them forever, but I guess it's still a relatively new relationship and they've been brilliant amplifying what we do and building those networks and also plugging into existing networks, not trying to create a whole new network, a whole new working group, actually plugging into existing structures that exist within the um, where you want to sort of get that, build that network. So we work with their nutrition strategy group, for example, who meet at least annually, if not more often, and sort of identify key challenges in the retail nutrition space. So a lot most of the major retailers and not manufacturers have their lead nutritionist is a member of that group so it's a real sort of cross discipline cross sector um view of what's going on in the food system and what needs to be changed so being able to plug into those networks and actually grow through sort of organic means and existing networks rather than i think as academics are often tempted to set a working group invite sort of disparate um people from different sectors which can work really well but sometimes means that actually no one has time we've got a thousand zoom team meetings these days actually existing plugging into existing structures is really valuable yeah it's lovely to hear that um so, so you're getting kind of demand side requests for research as well as the you know you being the supply side pushing answers uh from from questions you've been curious about yes definitely i think we've reached that um strange not strange but maybe um unusual thing if we're having to turn people down for research they want to do with us which is a real privileged position to be in um and sort of be quite have to be quite picky about what we choose and commit to with our time work yeah so vicky what did you want to add to that in terms of networks you know anything that you'd you'd say in terms of the, that's been helpful in building them yeah and i think at the risk of uh turning this into making colleagues cringe kind of session <laughs> I also wanted to uh, give credit to Michelle Morris um, uh, as a as a champion really um, and I think when you're 
early in your career and you're trying to get into those networks you need somebody who's going to be a champion for you and actually Michelle's been so generous with her contacts and she will let people in and share them and um there's this sort of space for everyone to be involved um and yeah it op- without opening those doors it can be quite hard to find a way into those networks um but I think networking in general has been quite uncomfortable for me I'm I'm getting better at it but it is it is something I'm I need to work at um I actually find it easier to network when I am at an event as a speaker because then I know that people will probably come and talk to me and that I don't have to be the one to make the first move so it it helps I think if I can put myself forward as a speaker I'm willing to go there and contribute something and I know that that's then an opportunity to speak to people in the in the less formal settings of the event as well um but I've also found that you know with with online meetings getting um into a network just the opportunity to ask a question typed not having to sit in a massive auditorium and be the one with a you know with a roaming mic and you've got to put your hand up and ask in front of everyone if you can just type your question then all of a sudden people know your name because they've seen you asking hopefully quite a sensible question and that just then connects you to people automatically and gives you an opportunity to follow up afterwards as well if you want to expand on their answer for example um, so yeah, I, that would be a, a tip that I would share. Brilliant, brilliant. So the the final question, um, you know, I've kept you you long enough already. The final question focuses on the chapter's title that uh, that I, um, Helen and Tony put together, and that was uh, uncertainty and confusion, the starting point of all expertise. So I'm I'm going to ask you kind of a challenging question. Is there anything that you're still uncertain or confused about in terms of how to have impact what it is how to do it who with is are there any things you'd like to kind of open up to and it be almost like that counseling service so vicky i'll i'll come to you first um yeah when i was thinking about this question the the thing that that came to mind is how you almost like set the the boundary or the remit around the impact that you're trying to achieve um because I think recently I've fallen into a bit of a trap of beating myself up for not having solved the entire food systems problems yet I've been working really hard so why don't I have all the answers to everything and actually if I could perhaps do a better job at recognizing the the boundaries of the impact that's really achievable with the work that I'm doing I can then feel a bit more validated that I've done everything in my power to to work on the things that I can control and there's lots of things that aren't in my control that I can uh, leave to other people yeah that (laughs) I think that's the first thing I you know whenever I'm reading any grant application or talking to anybody you know just informally about what their impact is or could be, you know, the potential, they nearly always come with, you know, probably way too ambitious, you know, just for, you know, maybe one person undertaking one 
you know, maybe first grant project at, you know, maybe 100,000 with their first award from a particular uh, particular research council or funder. So I think I think that's not unusual. And also it happens much, much later on in careers as well. So I get I get the the fantastic job of talking to both people at early stage uh, and people at late stage careers and 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 they're both they're all usually too ambitious and and kind of don't think about you know maybe get a bit carried away um yeah i'm, I'm sure we'll chat about this many more mm, times to come jed yeah so so you're not alone in that absolutely <laughs> so fran I'll, I'll come to you anything anything that you you're still grappling with i think I continue grappling with that sort of balance of the research impact versus the other pressures of an academic career. And I think institutions are definitely moving in the right direction. And we're seeing, I mean, the ref and things like that. I mean, research impact should be embedded within research. But I think often within sort of uh, the sort of opinions of people, it's always seen as a nice to have or an additional extra and sort of balancing those sort of competing, almost competing sort of, uses of your time sometimes can be quite difficult and so you want to be doing research impact you sort of you're generating impacts but then sometimes actually that's at the um sort of means that the papers may be coming about a little bit later actually or we often see research sort of moving past and even before the paper which is great to see but actually those are still things you need for an academic career so I think having that trying to balance that and sort of I'm hoping as institution and as a sort of university as academia as a whole, we're moving in that direction where they're becoming more aligned. But balancing that in the time is quite difficult at the moment. I think more hours in the day would be useful. But yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, our current research and innovation strategy does have um, does have the goal for all elements of an academic activity for everything from outputs through to impact to be equally valued and and recognized. But, you know, I think, I think that's a systemic issue that we actually need to deal with because, you know, if you want to move outside of Leeds and the place where you're hoping to move to has a different kind of, you know, cultural relationship with impact and, and outputs, then, you know, are they, equally valuing them is uh, you know you can't you can't and in, and in some senses that equal valuing means you have to kind of almost on a cv have equal amounts of um you know that that can lead to it so yeah i i absolutely understand that that challenge uh, thank you so much for the chat today and um and I'm so glad um, that the the euphoria from last week is still lasting. If I can, if I can try and uh, make it last a bit longer by giving you another yay, <laughs> yeah. And it's lovely to see the smiles on your faces with that. So 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 make sure make sure you um, you know on your narrative CV that you've got that written in bold at the moment, and um, uh, you know, and maybe print it out and put little gold stars around it, you know, that kind of thing, you know, whatever, whatever makes you feel really proud about it, you should do. Um, so congratulations to that. Um, so thanks a lot for listening listeners. And I'll leave it to, um, I'll leave it to Vicky and, and, and Fran to say goodbye to you all. Vicky, do you want to say bye to the listeners? Yeah, thanks for listening and thanks for having us, Jed. Bye, everyone. Brilliant. No problem. And Fran, would you like to say something? 
yeah thank you for listening and thanks for the um therapy session Jen it's been really appreciated to have a platform to talk about all this research impact in a really constructive and friendly way after recording the interview with Vicky and Fran I was approached by Professor Nick Plant our Deputy Vice-Chancellor for Research and Innovation who asked if he could add his thanks I obviously said no problem And as the team don't know about this, I hope it is a nice surprise for them when they listen to this. So here's Nick. As Deputy Vice-Chancellor for Research and Innovation, I wanted to add my warmest congratulations to the team for this award. The University is rightly proud to be home to the ESRC Consumer Data Research Centre. And this award is another example of the excellent impactful research that comes from the CDRC. Congratulations to all of the team for leading a project that helps food retailers introduce changes that encourage people to make healthier and more sustainable shopping choices. Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Thanks for listening and here's to you and your research culture.